You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Panera Bread is now delivering in Raleigh. That means broccoli cheddar soup, roasted turkey and avocado BLT, and all your other favorites are delivered right to your office or door or porch or backyard or front yard or dorm or wherever for lunch, dinner, and everywhere in between. Order today at PaneraBread.com or download the app. Participating locations only. Panera, food as it should be. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Today we've got the power hour in the first hour, and we will probably do a second hour with general questions. A lot of it will depend on the call volume. Because we're recording early this week, calls are really light. Um, They're starting to roll in now. But if you have a question for either the first hour or the second, go ahead and press 1 on your phone right now. Guarantee we'll get to you. Sometimes it gets pretty busy and we don't get to all the calls by the end. But if you press one right now, I guarantee we'll get to you either in the first or the second hour. So let's get started. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let's Truck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority. You name it, we'll talk about it here. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. Today is the Power Hour. We'll be taking all of your engine-related questions, troubleshooting, maintenance, modifications, upgrades, fuel economy, performance, whatever it might be. And joining me today, we've got Bruce, John, and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power. So, hey guys, welcome back. Thank you for Hi, having Kevin. us, Kevin. It's great yeah, to be here, Kevin. Yeah, great to have you here. Yeah, so uh, what's new and exciting over at Pittsburgh Power this week? Well, did you, if I missed the show last week, did you talk about what we noticed on the Caterpillar remand cylinder kits? No, we did not I talk about that last week. Okay, we we got six kits in to, to build an MXS cat, and there were three different pistons. Naturally, we take the cylinder packs apart because we balance the rods and balance the pistons. And we ordered the parts from Caterpillar via the engine serial number, and the correct number was on the box, three different pistons. So we weighed them, and we found that we were 1,032 grams off on the weight of the pistons, from the lightest to the heaviest. 
So to, to give that a comparison, we started measuring snap-on 3H drive uh, shallow sockets, and it was the weight of a 15-16th socket. So, it's a big know, it's socket. Almost a one. That's pretty big socket, and that was the weight difference of these pistons. So, ninety-nine percent of the mechanics take the cylinder pot, put it in, connect the connecting rod to the crankshaft, and away you go. And sometimes you wonder why your engine vibrates. Now, does it take extra time to take it apart? And you have about six to seven hours in balancing. But isn't it worth it to spend that one extra day to have a smooth engine? Yeah, I mean, that that's a, a vibration you would never be able to fix. I mean, once it's put together, it's put together. Was there any other difference? I mean, how did you guys notice the difference in the piston without weighing them? Okay, they actually, two of the pistons. Go ahead, John. I was going to say they actually were completely different designs. Same part number on the box came in the same kit for the engine ordered to that serial number, and they were completely different skirt designs even. So what other kind of pro? I mean, that just seems odd. What else could that change? Chances are it was all of the same compression ratio, but it was updated pistons. So some of the pistons were the old style, some were the new style. Some had, two of them had brass bushings in the wrist pin bore where the four of them did not. So so we could say this, four of the pistons were the same, but two of the four had brass bushings, two did not have brass bushings in the wrist pin bore, and the other two pistons were completely different. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Now we're going to, yeah, we're going to look, instead of buying cat reamants, so which means these are used pistons. So you're getting new piston rings, new liner, but an old piston. And a lot of these pistons have a million miles. Maybe some of them have two million on them. So we're going to check and see what the difference is to reman a Caterpillar using brand new pistons and liners and rings versus reman. I heard that a lot of times they're used parts. Well, this is the time that we really got to see it. Yeah. Well, you know, it would seem to me that when you're doing a rebuild, you're looking at getting another million miles out of it if it's done right. The little bit of extra cost when you figure it, even if it seems like a lot of extra cost, when you figure it out over the life of that engine, I think it would be worth it. Right. We agree. We agree. And there's one other thing I want to say. When your truck's in a shop, and it's supposed to be done at 4 o'clock, that day. Don't schedule loads to be picked up at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning because what happens if the truck doesn't finish? What happens if something comes up and you don't like the dyno results or you don't like the performance? And we have this happen quite often. Oh, i got to go. i got to go. Schedule the load. Don't schedule that load until that truck is off that dyno and test driven. Then Go ahead and schedule your next slide. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I understand, you know, people need to be out there making money and you want to try to plan ahead as much as you can. But you've got to realize that this is mechanical. There is a high likelihood that something could change and you're far better off, even if the truck will run and you could leave, 
if it's not right, you're better off just staying right where you are and taking another half day or a day. All it takes is a dirty connection somewhere in the wiring harness to put you back several more hours and put you into the next day. Ethan, do you want to say about some of the little things that we found that that held held the trucks over another night? Uh, just the you know bad grounds. If if when you're putting something back together, it doesn't get cleaned the whole way. Does if paint was on top of it? If, if you're trying to rush at the end of the day, little things like that tend to be the big problems. And it's it just as simple as cleaning up the ground and making it run right. What about how yeah, many, it, how many trucks we found with corrosion in the circuit breaker board? It, well, we've seen that before. The again, when you're putting it back together and you just moved everything around, because it was working, it was happy, it was running down the road. You take it all apart, put it back together. You just moved everything. You just disturbed it all. And now it, you just might move that wire in the right way that it, it's no longer making the connection, and you have to track down where it's at. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that's certainly changing, and and it's been changing and it keeps changing, is there are more and more electrical connections, more sensors, more computers, more wires, more circuits. And every time that increases, it just increases the complexity of finding something that might be a simple problem. It might be a ground, but you just have a lot more places you have to look now. Exactly. Especially when you're trying to rush at the end of the day and they're trying to get them out. And something little like that is just a setback that makes it difficult to get them out in the day. Or the other thing that we see is you're you're working on the engine and then towards the end of the day here, it's 3 o'clock, you're going to dyno it. Everything should be ready to go at 3.30 when the mechanics leave. And guess what? It won't produce the horsepower the customer wants, and there's 900,000 miles on the injectors. And the ECM is telling that, hey, we're giving it power. The power's not getting into the engine. And bang, there we are. Now we need to put a set of injectors in. There goes the next day. And the man has the load scheduled. It it creates problems. So give us time. Yeah. Don't cut us short by scheduling loads. Don't assume that... uh, because we say, yes, this should be ready today, doesn't mean that it's going to be. Well, and, and your goal is to get it done that day, too. I mean, you've got other trucks coming behind it. You've got, you have to stay productive, but you also don't want to put out a truck till it's right. That's exactly correct. Okay. All right. Well, what do you say? We, uh, anything else, or do we want to get to some calls? No, I, no, I just want to clear clear one thing up. People still don't understand 264 gear ratios. Everybody thinks they put 264 gears in, they're going to lose power on the hills. No, you gain power on the hills. They think they're going to lose startability. Yeah, you might have to start out one gear lower, but if fleets are doing it, there's no reason why a good owner-operator can't do it. And they don't understand the concept of running the truck indirect. Now, I have found that some of the 94, 95, 96 trucks, some of them do have a single over 13 speeds. And now all you're going to do is work the button versus pushing the shifter forward and button back. But it's just, it's hard 
Every day we explain why 264s can give you up to a half a mile per gallon, why it makes the engine so quiet, why it makes the transmission so quiet. Now, this is not for heavy haulers. This is not for people that are in sand and gravel pits. And this is not for farmers that are out in the field with the truck. This is an over-the-road truck. Yep. Hey, there's the music. When we come back, I'm going to talk about that just a little bit, too. And uh, then we're going to get to some calls and questions. This is the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power, and uh, we were just talking about 264 gears. Bruce, I can't tell you how many times I have been called an idiot for recommending 264, 279 gears. And right after they make the comment that I'm the idiot, they'll make this really stupid comment about the truck not being able to pull. And it just shows complete ignorance of how the drivetrain works. That one number in that gear ratio is meaningless until you know the other factors. What, what ratio is coming out of the transmission at the moment? And tire size, which isn't a huge factor, but it still plays into gearing. And they just don't understand that. All they know is what they've been told over the years that if it's a 370 or a 390, it'll pull really good. And if it's a lower number, a higher gear ratio, it won't. But that doesn't take into account the transmission. I mean, once you put the truck in direct, that's a whole different calculation on the gearing overall. And because you're indirect, you just talked about this, you have more power. There's less power loss to the drivetrain. There's less mechanical disadvantage of being in an overdrive gear. So fuel economy gets better. Performance gets better. The transmission and engine both run quieter, like you talked about. And, again, for years I've heard that comment, and it just shows how little people know about the whole drivetrain and how it has to work together. Correct. John, do you have a comment on it? Well, every time you go from through a gear, through a shaft, through another gear, you've got losses. There's no way you can't have losses. So, you know, when you're, the ability to run in direct is, is brilliant with the 264, as well as, you know, if you've got the right transmission in there. I'm not saying every, every not all transmissions may be perfectly suited for the 264, but Bruce and I discovered looking at the gear charts from um, the, the Road Ranger gear charts, 
we were able to, you know, there, there are a number of them that have wider ratios, and you could have everything you need with a 264. And so it's yeah, just, uh, it, you know, and the, and the ratios all add up. You don't you don't have less. So, okay, maybe you start out in second or even first or even use low once in a while, but so what? You've got them there for a reason. Otherwise, you never touch the gears on that end of the transmission. Exactly. I, I yeah. would much rather have a transmission. And I really like, Bruce, you mentioned the single overdrive transmissions, whether it's a 13 or an 18. To me, that's kind of the ideal transmission. If we have to start in low, great. I'm using all my gears. If we gear it to run indirect, which on a single overdrive would be 12, and 13th becomes our overdrive, you'll really use every one of your gears. Whereas many of these double overdrives and, you know, we're not using the lower gears, and when we get to our top gear, if we're geared with 355s or 370s, that's it. That's all we've got. Whatever speed we set it up to run at, we have very little flexibility. But if we set it up to run in 12th and we still have 13th, now we have a truck that could run efficiently from 55 miles an hour to 70. Not that you're going to get good fuel economy at 70, but at least you're going to be geared right to do it. It just makes so much more sense. Yeah, Kevin, our like Carl Kellner has a 2WS Cat in a 99P. He put the 264s in. We've reworked his ECM. He has a power box. He cruises along at most of the time at 58 mile per hour, but if somebody's aggravating him and he needs to go, he just cranks up the power box, shifts it up one gear, sometimes two. We call that an unlimited truck, just unlimited speed yeah. and unlimited power. <laughs> you decide how much power and how fast you want to go, now, isn't that the ultimate, to have no limits on what you do and what your truck can do? Not saying exactly. you do that often, just every now and then you might want to. And not only do you have all those choices, which is wonderful, when you are running down the road at 58 miles an hour, you're as efficient as you can possibly be in the drivetrain. That's right. You guys are wanting, you know, a lot of people want to run 65, and we understand that. That's where I run most of the time, where the trailer is at 65, unless I'm really early for where I'm going. And then I, I call it the Kevin Rutherford speed when I'm hitting, hitting 58. I say the W is Kevin Rutherford speed. <laughs> and, and it's okay. That's right. I'm used to it. It's okay. But, again, if I'm, if I'm early for where I'm going. So, I guess we should take some calls. Yeah, we should. Just one more comment. You know, the whole time I was driving truck, I, I 57 was my number. I don't know how I settled on that, but that was the number. That was where I set my trucks up to run. Now, though, I'm really pushing things. You know, in the coach, it, it just feels more comfortable at 60. I feel like I'm speeding. All right. Is it running better for you? It is, and uh, I haven't had a lot of opportunity yet, but um, it could be because I'm spending more time in the East than I was, but, you know, coming here and so far in the coach, I've only been able to average about 4.6 out of this thing when I'm pulling the car hauler behind it, and uh, right now I'm doing about 5.4, which is a huge increase. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's head off to Kentucky. Julius, welcome to the program. 
spoken. Hello? Julius? Yep, it's your turn. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I'm uh, doing a little truck shopping. I'm down to uh, a couple trucks. One's got an N14, but the one that I'm really looking at is uh, it's got a Series 60, the 14 liter, an 06 model. Uh, what do you guys think about that truck as far as reliability and uh, <coughs> upgrades on that engine? Is it is it really that big a difference in the 12, 7, and the, and the 14 liter Series 60? Yes, I'm going to let John and Ethan tell you what we can do with that 14 liter. It's a phenomenal engine. Absolutely okay. phenomenal. We've never even had one wear out yet. So, really? John, Ethan, yeah. Uh, the 14 liter is definitely going to be, you could get more power out of it. it you know, it's just a bigger engine to begin with. The it also has the the VG turbo on it. If it's not one of the ones they made for about eighteen months, there. The, the, the benefit is we can control the VG real nice if it if it is a DDEC five series sixty, and get some really good it performance will. and numbers out of it. They pull really nice. That is a really strong engine. Yeah. Mm, that's not a six though. It would be the DDEC five, five. With the EGR, and the VG. Yes. Yep. Okay, yeah, how would I decipher that to find out for sure? In oh, it's 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 it the original engine in it, and it's 2006. That's exactly what it is. Okay. Uh, right, that's that's all I had uh, for today. Thank you, guys. Does it have a You're 13 welcome. or an 18 speed? Oh. So, uh, Bruce, you know, I, I, I have to let people know that we're kind of in a transition period as far as I'm concerned, because there was a time when I just would not recommend one of these engines because we just had people having nothing but trouble with them. And once they started down that road, it didn't seem like we could ever fix it. But you guys have come a long way in understanding these engines and the emission systems and how to tune them and how to keep them running right, which is a really good thing. I've been saying for years I hope we get to that point, and it certainly looks like we're getting there now. We are, and now you know we're bringing on the pack car engine. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I, I, I still tell people, look, we, you can't go wrong with the older pre-emission engine. No risk. We know everything about them. We know how to fix them. We know how to get good fuel economy out of them. But I've been saying for a long time, these engines, these newer engines, have a tremendous amount of potential. It, it, we just have to figure out how to keep them running right. You guys are doing that now, so that's exciting. I'm really proud of what we've learned about them and just in the time that I've been here and what I see performance and reliability-wise, you know, from uh, the horror stories that I heard when I showed up here to what I actually see in real life and talk to the drivers and their you know, now quite happy with the things, and it's uh, it's it's been it's been fun to watch, and I, I really enjoy being part of uh, helping that program along. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we think about it. We've been um, a decade now, actually, a little over a decade that I've been talking about this on the air. Probably, if I look back over the last ten years, it's the most common call I get is an engine with some sort of an emission-related problem fuel economy dropped off, performance dropped off, the trucks in and out of the shop 
check engine lights all the time, and I didn't have any answers for people. It was very frustrating. Um, now at least I have one answer. Take it to Pittsburgh Power. They'll figure it out. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. All right. Yeah, so it, uh, it gives me an answer anyway. I can send them to you guys. It, and it is exciting because these engines have a tremendous amount of potential. And it's, uh, it, it's good to see that we're, we're getting there. I've got to get to a break. We're going to come right back with more of your calls and questions. Stick around. Kevin Prosper. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power with me. So, you know, now that you guys have, you know, figured out so much over the last year or so, and you are figuring out a lot of this emission stuff, I've got to figure out. I've got, and we're doing this. I've got to look at my schedule, and we've got, you know, several big events throughout the year that we have to schedule around and things going on. But I really want to find a time where I could spend a couple weeks or who knows, maybe even a month uh, with you guys. Cause I want to learn this stuff. Well, you know, the door's always open to you. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to just come and hang out and, you know, have time to watch all this stuff and see it and learn it. And then I'd be able to answer the questions better and, uh, it's exciting. I just have to figure out time, and we'll do that. Let's um, let's head off to Florida. Ed, welcome to the program. Ed, are you there? Going once. Ed, you know what? I'm going to put you back on hold. It looks like we still have a line there. We'll come back to you and see what we can do with that. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Daniel, welcome to the program. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Good. What's how are you? Mind? All right. I got a uh, 2012 uh, Freyliner Coronado glider, and I wanted to know uh, what would you guys recommend as far as a uh, horsepower upgrade, and what's the difference between the standard 550 Pittsburgh power upgrade and the power box? Well, first of all, can you guys hear me? I think maybe I lost you. No, you're there. No, you're there. Okay. First of all, you didn't tell us what engine you have. Oh, I apologize. I got the uh, 127 uh, Detroit. Okay. Our 580 code puts that 580 horsepower to the ground, and it gives you about 680 flywheel horsepower. With the power box, we make sure you have a good, honest 500 
And then with the pilot box, you have an additional 225 horsepower available to you at the touch of a button. You know, there's nine power settings. Each setting's about 25 horsepower. So most okay. people run on power level three or four. So you can decide your power, how much power you want. You can add and subtract it with the power box. When the ECM is set, you cannot. Wherever it's set, it's set. Now, the other thing about an ECM, if you go into a truck dealership and they wipe it out, now you're back to where they left it. And we'll put it back for you at one time at no charge if somebody else screws it up. Okay? Okay, so basically, if I did the ECM upgrade, well, what would you recommend? Just basically probably running mostly, you know, not running, really running out west and not running heavy all, you know, primarily. I'm sorry. He has a lot of hills. Uh, look at Interstate 68 from Morgantown, West Virginia, over to uh, Hagerstown. That's the hardest interstate in North America. So yeah, I run that. Think about it. You do run that. So you're running the hardest yep. interstate. Okay. So, yep. I like them both. I, I like the power box with the ECM set to a good, honest 500, maybe 550 horsepower, and then having the power box, but... Whichever way you want to go, the, the firebox is a little bit more money to go that way. But you also okay. need to think, who, who, who built the glider? Uh, I got it from Freightliner Direct. Okay. So you'll have a stock manifold and you'll have a stock turbo. So that manifold right. and turbo that's on there will only carry so much horsepower. So we've got to put the ported ceramic-coated manifold on and the 15% larger turbo. So those you have to do along with your power upgrade or you'll never get the full benefits of the added power. So you need to basically do everything together. Well, it, it helps to do everything together. That's the best way. Now, if you come by the shop often, uh, we can do it do it pieces at a time. But to do the manifold and turbo along with the ECM and or the power box, that is the proper way to do it. Okay. All right, I got you. I sure do appreciate let's your time. Not forget about, let's not forget about that stock muffler. You can do everything up front, but if you can't get the exhaust out, that muffler should go too. Yeah, I had the I had the muffler done when I uh I just did a clutch a couple months ago, so I had the muffler. They uh the guys that did the muffler, they was um they was able to, I mean the guys who did the clutch was able to get a muffler from uh, another company, another trucking company. So it is, but it is your guys' Pittsburgh Power muffler though. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. So now you, you've yes. got one of the steps. Okay? Right. Okay. Appreciate you. You're welcome. welcome. All right. You know, Bruce, I, there's uh, one other thing I'd like to, to point out on the power box. We always talk about the upper end of the power, which is wonderful to have all those options. I like the power box for the option to turn off all the power when I want to as well. You get on bad roads or... You know, I'd rather just turn it off and go back to stock horsepower. So it's nice to have all of that flexibility on both ends of the spectrum. That's right. If you're ever on black ice, wet snow, slush, uh, if you're in sand and gravel, you turn it back to zero, you're at stock power, and now you're not uh, putting much strain back through the dry shaft. You happen to goose the throttle when you should. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I like that flexibility. I think we've got uh, 
I'm going to go back and try Ed in Florida again. Ed, welcome to the program. I'm here. How you guys doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Um, I uh, I had a question I've been trying to save for the power. Um, I wanted to find I wanted to find out you guys' opinion on uh, water methanol injection uh, as well as uh, propane injection. You know, as far as well, um, propane, like power Kevin, adder, fuel economy, all of that. Propane. Kevin's talked about that a lot, and we've tested a lot of it. And it's about an even draw. It, it gives you performance, and the fuel mileage that you get is about the same that you get with diesel fuel. And the negative part that I found when I was traveling in my Kenworth on an RV was every time I stopped at a Flying J to get propane, it took me over an hour just to get 40 pounds of propane, and that, that kind of bothered me. If you live in right. an area well, where... Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I'll jump in because I did extensive testing on propane, and we really tracked the numbers every single day for 30 days straight. And we posted the numbers online so everybody could see it. And it was a very controlled test. We 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 actually used two trucks, both running the same lanes every day, same driver, same everything. We We controlled every variable we could. And we tracked cost, not well, we tracked fuel economy and propane economy and cost, so everybody could see that fuel economy clearly went up. No question about it, but it has to because you're introducing another fuel. So now you have to look at the cost of burning both fuels. And the company that, that manufactured the propane injection system was on site. We gave them every opportunity every day to tweak the system because they said sometimes that's what has to happen. So we gave them 30 days, and we gave them the, the numbers every day. At the end of the day, we'd top off the propane, we'd top off the diesel, we would calculate all the numbers, and we would give them an opportunity to adjust their system. And they did. And after 30 days, there was a time um, the best they were able to do, they, they increased fuel economy by seven-tenths of a mile per gallon, which sounds huge. But when we calculated the cost of the propane on the very best day, we were about breaking even. And on the worst day, we were losing money because even though our fuel economy went up, we were spending more on propane. Now, that was at $1.99 a gallon for propane. I, I contracted with a company that gave me that price for 30 days. You can't find that on the road. Where you can, but you've got to go to these little independent places here and there. They're not always open. Like Bruce just talked about, getting it from a truck stop, you're going to pay the highest price for propane. You're going to wait around to get it done. I, I just, it was one of the products we tested extensively, and I could not make an argument for even thinking about going to propane. It made no sense to me at all. Okay. What about um, water methanol injection? Have you ever tried that? Uh, I, I I have talked to some people about that. It was a couple of years ago, and from what I could gather, it was more of a performance 
upgrade than anything else. Nobody was claiming I was going to get better fuel economy out of it. And uh, maybe you guys have some more on that when we get back. Um, I've never tested it because everybody I talked to said, you're not going to get any fuel economy out of it. So we'll be right back and we'll talk about that right after this break. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford. Heads up here. We're heading into the fourth segment of the first hour. At the end, I'm going to say goodnight, goodbye, all that stuff I always say. Um, don't hang up because we are going to come back and do a second hour. Uh, and you may be able to get through, if you press one on your phone right now, we may be able to get to you in the second hour if you've got a question, a comment, a topic. Uh, so here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power with me. Um, one more thing on my overall take on in injecting other fuels or other things into the cylinder. Um, for, I, I've either tested them or really researched everything I know of, and nothing really seems to make a whole lot of sense when it comes down to cost which is kind of our goal here is to lower our cost. And there's a reason we use diesel. Diesel fuel has more BTUs per gallon than really any other fuel that I know of. So if we're injecting anything else into the cylinder and it has less energy, um, it's hard to make an argument about how we're going to get more fuel economy out of it. There's talk always of, well, if you inject the propane in, it helps burn more of the diesel. And maybe that's true, but it's not burning enough to to make it economical. There's there's no monetary gain. Bruce or John, Ethan, you guys have anything to add to that? Oh, I agree with you 100. percent Oh, go ahead, Bruce. John, do you have any methanol? Anything that you have any idea? Early old old friends of mine used to play with turbocharged cars on the street years and years ago before electronic management systems would use. Uh, water injection systems to control knock. And it's also a slight oxygenating agent as well, which is, you know, maybe made a little bit of power. But uh, for purposes of a diesel, I see absolutely no reason for it at all, to be honest with you. I've never uh, never seen a purpose for it. Kevin, one of the rules to burn diesel fuel complete, if that truck's going down a highway, the Cummins engineers explained this back to me in the 90s, in the mid-90s. If there's absolutely no smoke coming out of that stack, you're burning 100% of your fuel. When you put something else in, you're dissipating the molecules of oxygen, and that's what the diesel fuel needs. It needs 220,000 parts of oxygen for one part of diesel fuel. 
So when you start to ingest propane and or whatever, you're going to displace some of the oxygen. So we're staying away from it. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, you know, even the idea of, you know, the the natural gas and the, you know, CNG and, and the problem with all of those is that they have less energy per gallon. And you can even start to calculate it. And this is what I would do. I would look at the cost of a gallon divided by the, the number of BTUs in there. So you could see the cost per BTU. And diesel always comes up the best bargain. We buy fuel because there's energy and fuel, and we can measure it in BTUs. And when you do the math, diesel is the cheapest per BTU. Okay. Hey, are we on for the second hour? Uh, No, it looks like we've got uh, a lot of general questions I've got to get to in the second hour. Oh, okay. All right. If if I could, uh, along the along the same lines of what we were talking about here with complete burn and such, that's precisely what we're doing with the VG turbo tuning that we're doing. Uh, the way that we allow the turbo or, or, or tell the turbo to call for more boost even after the engine wanted it. And where, what we found is we've got torque at much lower RPM numbers now. We're getting a more complete burn of the diesel fuel even after the you know the, the natural occurrence or the synergy that happens to help to create boost goes away, we artificially induce it with the with the turbo vanes. So we've got that flat boost curve now and we're finding a more complete burn and we see it on the you know with the pen and pencil on the on the fuel mileage and it was clear as day on the dyno as well. So, you know, the complete burn is really what's most important and I can't see any additive, you know, doing what we do simply by controlling the turbo in the way that we are now. We've got an interesting one coming in in a couple of weeks. We've got a very high mileage uh, truck, you know, belongs to a listener here that he's going to be in with, uh, you know, he's already in the 10 mile per gallon range as it is, and he's looking to do the VG on his as well. So it'll be interesting to see what he gets to after that. Yeah. Well, you know, what you just said is, is goes along with what Bruce is talking about. Diesel needs lots of oxygen to burn. And by controlling boost, you guys are controlling the right amount of oxygen in with the diesel fuel to get that complete burn. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've got evidence. I mean, we've got data on it now. It actually works. So it's, uh, it's, it's yeah. proofs in the pudding there. Excellent. Let's, uh, let's squeeze in a couple more calls. We're off to Kent, Washington. George, welcome to the program. Yeah, um just interested, I uh, got a Cummins ISX, uh, 500 horse, 2250. Um, just wondering about heat buildup and um, what can be done to help minimize it in the engine. It just where, seems where? like on hot, day, hot days, uh, my fan, I need my fan a little bit more. You know, I'm thinking all the gunk in the engine and that kind of stuff. What Don't temperature are you seeing? Sure. Well, what temperature are you seeing on your gauge? What is the actual temperature oh. that you're seeing? Oh, I well, I get twenty twenty two hundred twenty on the um, on the uh, oil temp, and um, when it gets up to uh, two ten, uh, the fan kicks on. It's just I'm just thinking that. Uh, with the stuff that you guys do by cleaning the inside of the engine out, that would help it. 
I would highly recommend the engine flush, but for, for reasons other than that, uh, you may want to look into one of our radiators. Right. Uh, that that could help there. The oil temp number doesn't bother me a bit. 220 on the oil is not a big deal. That's uh, the ISX is yeah, run there. Yeah, and, um, you know, I got up to 230 when it was pulling and that kind of stuff, but that's yeah, where it stopped. That's still no problem. That, that's not yeah. an issue at all there. But uh, flush the cooling system or upgrade to one of our radiators would would definitely help you there. And uh, the engine flush on the ISX is, in particular, uh, Cummins has done some measurements and you know, what was the number? Seven pounds of soot per fifty thousand, fifty thousand or forty thousand miles. Yeah, it, it's high. So they they and that's a study directly from Cummins, and I'm sure most of the EGR engines have similar numbers. But uh, in the Cummins uh, cams, we know are a little fragile on the ISX, so it's better to keep that as clean as possible. And the, the engine flush would definitely help with a uh, number of things, but might not you might not see it in the temps like you might like to. Uh, you, you're going to need to look at the radiator there. The, okay. Uh, how many miles are on this engine? Five, uh, 420. I think you need the full emissions tune-up just to get everything cleared out. What we've yeah, seen absolutely. gathering around the coaster valve and in the yeah. diesel particulate filter, you ought to make an appointment, get in, and let's do the complete clean out. What kind of truck is it? It's a T660. Oh, okay. good. good. Beautiful truck. Yeah, you don't I really mind haven't had any. I'm sorry. What kind of fuel mileage do you get, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I run usually wide. I'm getting about 7172. Okay. Some days okay. it's better. I mean, you know, it depends on where the wind is and that kind of stuff. I usually run at 62 miles an hour. Okay. Good. Good. So I could also put yeah. an auxiliary water tank on. I could put an auxiliary water tank on, and that'll drop you down another 20 degrees if you want to get the temperature cooler. We used to do that on the low flow cooling 444 Cummins back in the 90s, and we can talk about that when you come into the shop. But, yeah, at 400-plus, okay. I'd highly recommend doing a uh, the EGR and after-treatment maintenance. Yeah, we've kind of got that down to a science now. We've got, uh, you know, exactly which things need to be cleaned and which ought to be replaced and exactly where to look for things that will, will cause you a problem in the future. If you take care of it now right. and maybe take a look at it every quarter of a million, you should uh, go a million miles easily with no trouble. All right, so usually how much does that run about? We spend eight to ten hours in the shop, so that's between eight hundred and a thousand. And on the parts end, if it's just cleaning, there there are a couple sensors that we change uh, out of habit. We don't actually just clean them, and there's some things that we just clean. And if we find another problem, then that naturally that'll add on to it. But you could get out for as little as fifteen hundred bucks on that. Oh, that's not bad. All right. Well, I appreciate yep. that. Good. Thank you. All right, thanks for the call. That's uh, that's just about going to wrap it up today. Hey, you know, guys, talking about the, the cleaning, especially on the ISX, but all the EGR engines, I remember several years ago I had a couple listeners who were really mechanical. They did a lot of their own maintenance, and they were telling me that both of them had ISXs. It was two guys I remember, and they said that they would just take the system apart and clean things every now and then. They never had problems, yet we couldn't we couldn't convince shops to do that. They said it wouldn't matter. It definitely matters. 
Yeah, the, yeah. the tubes for the yeah. differential pressure sensor are about eighth inch in diameter. Yep. And the soot tends to plug them up pretty fast. Yeah, you've got that. And then what happens, then it gives false readings to the computer, and then it may overdose on the uh, on the DPF, or on the DEF, excuse me. There, It could snowball just from a simple, you know, maintenance item like that could cause much much larger issues. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, guys, thanks as always. We look forward to seeing you back here next week for the Power Hour. That was John and Guys, we're going to head into the second hour here. Let me take a look at the board. It looks like we lost some of the general questions. So um, there is some opportunity. If you've got a question about anything at all, um, press 1 on your phone right now. I promise I'll be able to get to you. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get started on the second hour. But, again, we've got some room for questions. So if you've got a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all, Go ahead and press 1 on your phone. If you've already pressed 1, don't do it again. That'll take you out of the queue. Queue if you've got a question. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority, the list goes on and on. If you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone. We'll talk about it here on the show. And uh, hours at night go by so fast that I've got a couple things I want to talk about, but I think I'm going to get to your phone calls First, so let's start off in New York. Jason, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, another question. Let me. I'm going to preface it by saying the the scan gauge. I understand it's it's not on, but when it goes up, no matter what the number is, I should be getting better fuel mileage to drive by it, right? Uh, correct. There are some. I mean, generally. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. generally. In fact, probably 90-plus percent of the time. There could be some weird situations where it, it's getting some odd information from the ECM, but in general, when you make a change and you see fuel economy go up on the scan gauge, fuel economy is truly going up. Okay, well, that went perfectly into my question. I just got an in-frame done three weeks ago. On my scan gauge, I'm showing roughly two miles per gallon better than I was before the in-frame, but my fuel mileage 
on pen and paper is actually down almost three-quarters of a mile per gallon. Interesting. So that's kind of what I was talking about. I wonder uh, who did the in-frame? So it was a a factory shop. And one of the things we always have to be aware of with a factory shop is we can't see what they've done in the ECM. You know, we can see mechanical changes. We, We know what happens there, but they're required to set certain things in the ECM. I know that there have been times where they make changes to ECM and they won't tell us what they are, or they'll say they didn't make changes, and I know they did. Um, well, that's kind of they, – they, I asked, and they told me that they put in they, – they looked and said, oh, we see a drive 58 and, you know, running around 1,300 RPM, so we put in the low – uh, was it there? the low torque heavy hull thing where your max horsepower is now at 1400 and yada yada yada? But that they you know they other than that they basically said themselves, well we're not really sure it's just downloaded from CAT and you know whatever's right. in the program. Other than that, we're not really sure what goes in either. So yeah, so exactly. and that may be the truth. They may not know that that's code that that is supplied to them from somewhere higher up the food chain. And we right. don't know what's going, and unless we get in there. It, and even then, somebody has to really know what they're looking for. There are lots of guys running around with tuners, um, making all kinds of changes to ECMs, and they don't really know what they're doing. They don't know what they're looking at. There are thousands of settings in those ECMs. And it, it, you really have to know what you're doing it's easy to go in and turn up fuel and a couple other things and give somebody a bunch of power but that's not always a good thing to do um this is a little odd though for i'm trying to figure out what could have possibly caused the scan gauge to show that big of an increase when in reality we're seeing a and that's a pretty sizable decrease that's I'm figuring that's a bit more than just regular break-in too. I mean, you know, that's it is. It, it's way more than just regular break-in. That that actually worries me a little bit. Um, he, here's the thing: when we performance though hasn't you know, changed. It, I mean, it, it's right. Performance that, is hard to tell though. You know, I, I well, the, there yeah, could be a subtle subjective. change. It, it is right. So yeah. I don't put a whole lot of faith in even myself. I mean, even me taking a truck out and driving it, making a change, driving it again, it's really hard to know what's going on with performance. Fuel economy, though, is an absolute measurement. As long as we're doing it right, we're taking miles and gallons. It's math. Whereas performance, you know, did I go up the hill a little faster? There are so many other factors that that's just not a good indicator. Now, if we actually measure performance on a dyno, that that is a more accurate number. Um, here's what happens. When, when we do an in-frame, there is not a big drop in fuel economy because things are really tight. There's a little bit there, but not much. You know, when a truck is brand new, everything is tight. 
So we have that break-in period for the truck, the engine, the transmission, the differentials, and everything loosens up a little bit and fuel economy grows over the first even 100,000 miles on some trucks. But when we do an in-frame, all that other stuff is already all broken in. We don't have anything tight anywhere else. We get a little bit of tightness in a new engine, but we also should have picked up a lot of efficiency. So I don't normally want to see a, a truck lose any fuel economy on an in-frame. I want to see it gain fuel economy because if it needed an in-frame, that means a lot of our combustion was going by the rings and we'd lose all that power. Well, now we should have nice tight cylinders and we shouldn't be losing any of that power. So we should see right. fuel economy go up day one and then increase a little bit over the first fifty to 75,000 miles as that engine breaks in. And then sometimes we see another increase if we do the first overhead because we kind of reset everything and, and get it timed right. So to lose three quarters really worries me. I, I, I wonder what went wrong. That's yeah. Where I mean, that's where I kind of am. I mean, like I said, it's 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 three weeks in, and like I said, three quarters. It's half to three quarters, depending on. The other week, I dropped almost a full mile, but I was running headwind, heavy in the hills. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know so, if I'm just out and running my regular run, it's yeah, six tenths, call it, uh, fuel gauges. I mean, over average over yeah, the last I'll, two months. I'll I'll make it five just to be really conservative, half a mile per gallon. That bothers me. Bothers me a lot. Like, and it's almost kind of interesting that you have the scan gauge on there because it went up so much. I think this is purely ECM related. I think the build is probably fine, but the fact that the scan gauge went up too. And you went down a half, even if we call it a half. Something weird is coming out of the ECM. That's what I'm kind of thinking. I'm, I mean, it's not burning a drop of oil. Everything's tight. So, I mean, that's, that's like you said, right. and, you know, performance is subjective, but it's, it's, it's working fine. It's working no different than it was. Right. Exactly. You know? So, yeah. So that's, yeah, so that's, it, that's it, just what kind of had me kind of baffled as it that jumps because, you know, my first run, I come over to the shop, ran my first run with it, and I'm looking down and getting, you know, push, yeah. putting eight on, where I usually used to get six with the scan gauge, thinking, wow, this is, you know, I'm going to start right. saving some money now, but until I put the first fuel <laughs> yeah. in, and then. Yeah, that so. that's interesting, but that leads me to believe that, that everything mechanical is fine, but something has really changed in the ECM, and obviously not for the better. Okay. So at this point, then I'm probably better off going to see Bruce and those guys than going back to Cat and try to get some them. Yeah. Cat, you're going to get nothing out of Cat. You go in and talk about fuel economy at one of these shops, and they look at you like you have three heads. Yeah, that's. And that's what basically the guy and, and the guy was actually pretty cool because he said he's retiring it in, in at Christmas. So like he said, he goes, look, I'm not going to. He goes, whatever cat puts in. He goes, look, I'm not a computer programmer. I just sort of know what they tell me, but what's actually right. in there, you know. He he basically went and said, look, he goes, that's I have to 
because I'm required to, but, yeah, it's, just, it's not, you know, will it help? Maybe. Will it hurt? Maybe. I can't really tell. So, Right. They don't know. And that's the thing, no. you know, we, when we talk about mechanical stuff, we can look at it and know what we're seeing. But if you talk about computer code, which is all that's in the ECM is, is you know, a million lines of code, you've got to have somebody who knows how to look at that code and read it. And that's fairly rare. That's what I, I love about Pittsburgh Power. They didn't take mechanics and try to teach them the electronics. They took electronical engineers and taught them trucks. And honestly, you know, they're sitting there looking at code all day, and all they need to know is how it's affecting the truck. And that's what they do all day long. That, that's why they're coming up with such uh, amazing stuff over there. So, yeah, I, I would – and if you do go to, to them, um, keep me in the loop. I'd love to know what we find out about this one. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to uh, head back to the phones. We're going to go to Houston this time. Kieran, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks, Kevin. Uh, just a couple of quick, short questions. Um, I got a Detroit 14 liter, and I was just wondering uh, what's the correct idle speed for it if you're idling overnight? And how much fuel should it burn every hour? And have another small one after that. Okay, got it. So I've actually gone back and forth on this question over the years. You know, I, I listened to the manufacturer's recommendations. I listened to a lot of mechanics early on. I'm going back, way back, about idling. Wow. And everybody said, Always idle at a higher, you know, bump it up to the higher idle if you're going to be idling for a long period of time. And their logic, which made a lot of sense to me, in, was that when the it, it, normally at the lower idle, you won't reach operating temperature. It'll idle quite a bit cooler than it does when it's running at the higher idle or at, you know, running down the road. And those cooler temperatures would not burn the fuel completely, so we'd get more soot. It would create a more acidic environment, so our base would go away faster. All of those things made sense. So I always listened to that, believed it, and always told people, bump up your idle. But there's a huge cost to that. You bump up that idle, it burns considerably more fuel. So okay. the more and more I thought about it, the more I thought, 
even if what they're saying is right, is it a good trade-off? And let's say that, you know, we take it to an extreme. Let's say we're going to run an engine for a million miles and we idle a lot. Is it a good trade-off to spend all that money on all of that fuel? And, and how much life would it really take off the engine if we idled at the lower speed? And I was trying to figure out, well, maybe I will lose 50,000 miles or 100,000 miles. But what if that's a good trade-off because I'm going to save so much in fuel? So mm-hmm. I was trying to approach it from that angle, and it gets really hard to prove those numbers. And when I was working on it and thinking about it, I thought, wait a minute. I, I have a better way of measuring this. If what they're telling me is by by idling at the lower speed, I'm going to get more soot and more acid, I'm just going to go back and look at all my oil samples. I have access to the 100,000 oil samples. So I started, we did some surveys, and I found people who never bumped up their idle, and I found people who always bumped up their idle. And we started looking at oil samples. I couldn't tell any difference. I could not pick out one thing about an oil sample from somebody who was idling at the lower speed. There was no more soot. Their base was lasting just as long. And I thought, I don't see evidence of what they're telling me is going to happen. So I, I think that the electronic engines are doing a good enough job of managing the fuel even at the low idle that we don't see the problems. And maybe this whole idea was just held over from the mechanical engines. And, okay. and it really isn't true in the electronic engine. So ever since I did that, I've just been telling people, look, you know, do oil samples, but I would idle at the lower speed because it uses a lot okay. less fuel, which gets us okay. to the second part of the question. How much fuel? Yeah, I yep. have no idea. Um, okay. You know, we, we can use the scan gauge to measure it, but we know it's just a guess. The only way to do this would literally be to, to top a truck off, let it idle for a long enough period of time, and then put some fuel back in and do the math. And, and the couple times we've done this, it's all over the board. It's kind of right. like fuel economy in general. You know, the, the, okay. the number everybody wanted to use was a gallon an hour. And, and it, it's... it's might be a good average, but, it, you know, sometimes averages just don't tell us much of anything. Um, so, really, I tell people if, if it's an important number to you, you probably just need to test it a couple times. You know, just top the truck off, let it idle for a long period of time, put more fuel in and do the do the math. Right. Sounds good. Um, and the last question, or easy one, I hope. Um, I have an air conditioner in my truck and it vents out to the floor. It uses 1,100 watts. That's, that's what it's rated at. How many batteries would I need and what batteries to run that and how long could I run it for? Okay, so, 11, um, yeah, so I'm not going to be able – yeah, this isn't an easy one, not on the phone, um, because we okay. have to do a couple conversions here. Um I'm not really good at electrical stuff. Like, I have to sit down okay. with each problem, write it out on paper, look stuff up. But I'll tell you how I do it. I don't do it by watts. I know there's a conversion there somewhere. 
Um, I've always done it by amps. So what you do is you look up the device you're using, the appliance or whatever it is, somewhere we should be able to figure out how many amp draw we get out of that device. Then we can look at batteries, and batteries you can calculate amp hours. That, that's a pretty okay. normal number. It's easy to find. We can, and so one battery will have X number of amp hours, and then we can calculate how long that battery would run the device. And then you can just say, okay, if I want to run this device for 10 hours, I need this many amp hours, so I need this many batteries. But it's one of those okay. things that I'm, I'm not real good at. I don't have it in my head. I've got to sit down and go get the numbers and make the calculations work. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Redmond. Mike, welcome to the program. Good morning. Hey there. What can I help Hello? you with today? Yeah, I've got a question for you. Um, I'm looking at getting my own authorities here in Oregon. And I was okay. curious to find out, and I was curious to find out what the difference is from that MC number from the one A permit here in Oregon. Okay, so an MC, what we're talking about is federal and state. So an MC okay. number, an MC number at the federal level, all that does is say you have a commercial vehicle that you're going to move freight with. Now, that MC number doesn't do a whole lot for you because the MC number doesn't give you authority to move freight anywhere unless it is either either your own product or it is an exempt commodity. So let's say you manufacture widgets. If you want to move the widgets yourself and they're your product, all you need is an MC number. But you can't handle or move anybody else's products, only your own. Okay. So a, okay. a, a manufacturer that might want to move its own stuff could just go get an MC number, can't do backhauls, can't move anybody else's freight. There are some commodities that are exempt from needing authority. They are typically raw material kind of stuff. So okay. if you're hauling bulk raw material or produce, um, those are what we call exempt commodities. You don't have to have authority to move those. Okay. Once we get beyond the- our own product or an exempt product, now we have to have an MC number and federal authority. That's what we talk about when we say getting your own authority. Now you have the ability to move just about any product. The one exception is household um, has its own set of rules. So that's federal. So now in order to do anything, you've got to go get the MC number. In order to move freight, you're going to have to get the federal authority. Then we get down to the state level. And the difference is if you if the pickup and delivery point or are both within the same state, now you may need to get state authority. And in Oregon that's that's the one A permit. There are yeah. some states where where it's really, really difficult to get that authority. 
um, it's still pretty regulated and it, it isn't just given away. Um, Oregon isn't yeah. one of those. Oregon, you go down, and you get the 1A permit, and then you can move freight within the state. Now, you only need okay. that when the pickup and delivery, when the origin and the destination are within Oregon. If you pick okay. up the freight in Oregon and take it outside of the state to deliver it, you don't need that 1A. And if you're picking freight up and bringing it into Oregon, you don't need the 1A. It's only when you pick up and deliver within the same state. Okay, yeah, a lot of my stuff is going to be within the state, but I am going to eventually wind up getting outside of the state too, so I want to get make sure I've got the right authorities to do that on my own. Well, to, to move the, to what you're talking about, you've got to get your MC number first, get your federal authority and the Oregon 1A, and then you have the ability to move freight into the state, out of the state, within the state. You can do it all. I've got to get to a break. We'll be right back. More stuff. Kevin Rupp. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to head off to Alabama. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon. Um, you were just talking about MC number. Were you talking about DOT number? MC number is your authority. Oh, okay. You're right. The, DO, the, the <laughs> original DOT, yeah, the number we need just to say the we're going to operate number, commercial yeah, vehicles. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. Uh, You're right. You had me had me go out there for a minute. I said, "Is that my members?" <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've kind of fallen down. I've been working in the heat, working out in the Texas heat on trucks, rebuilding. Uh, my friend partner got her truck run over. <laughs> Helped her oh boy. It. Uh, okay. Hood. No, fighting with the insurance company, drag it out for two weeks. Holy cow, what a nightmare. She still hadn't settled with them. We went ahead and fixed it, got it done after they looked at it anyway. But, uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm going to start from scratch on the diet again. I don't know what it is if I've been getting too much sugar, like from the strawberries or something. But, boy, I just, you know, of course, I've been in the heat. I just kind of lost my whole exercise regimen. <laughs> And, yeah, and I, think it, um, I think the heat just knocked me down. As I'm used to working in the heat, but I usually got a swimming pool to jump into, and I didn't have one this time. <laughs> that that can do it, and and certainly, yeah. and we say this all the time, but I don't think we really do it enough. In that kind of heat, you have to work very hard to stay hydrated. Like you've oh, got to drink. Long. I mean, yeah. 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 Way steady. Sometimes yeah. it's almost hard to keep up with. Like, and that yeah. will really sap your energy as well. But anytime, 
um, that I start to feel one of those days or I start to feel like my energy's down, that's when I will go back and do a couple things. I'll look a little harder at my diet. Am I letting the carbs sneak back in? And I'll go back to testing my ketone levels. And almost always I'll find, yeah, almost always I'll find that my ketone levels have dropped way down. And it's because I've allowed the carbs to creep back in, or maybe I had a couple glasses of wine with dinner, and that'll usually knock me out. But I'll always find if my energy levels are dropping a little bit, can usually measure it in ketones, and I just need to adjust the diet, and it all comes back. Yeah, I'm back on the road so I can get relaxed and, and fall back into my normal routine. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of wondering because, I mean, I worked hard enough at that kind of, you know, going like that. What, what you'd get sugar off of, uh, you know, carbs off with a little bit of sweet potato at dinner time or, you know, the salad stuff and uh, yeah, the strawberries in the evening. I would think right. I'd burn it off you know, pretty fast. So, well, uh, you know, you, I you, just you... overdid it, yeah. You just mentioned all the things that always get me because I like those things. I like sweet potatoes, so I'll eat a little bit of sweet potato once in a while. I love berries, so, you know, I usually have berries around and I eat those. Um, Summertime, because it's hot, I like big salads. And, you know, I'll sit down and I'll look at it and think, well, no, I've been really ketogenic. And I'll look at a whole day and go, no, wait a minute, if I add up that sweet potato – you know, all the berries I had, I threw some extra berries on my salad when I had it. I a lot of vegetables, all good food, no question. It's all healthy. It's all good. And there's no problem with it. But I will notice that some days it's enough to knock me out of ketosis. And I, I drop that energy level a little bit. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think we get spoiled. You know, when I'm in full-blown ketosis, I feel really good. I have tons of energy. My mood is great. And when I drop out of it a little bit, it's not that I feel horrible. I still feel way better than I ever used to. I just don't feel as good as I do when I'm really in ketosis and I have lots of energy. Yeah, I've had a little bit of, like, upset stomach type, you know, just something not in the stomach thing. (laughs) Yeah, uh, indigestion, whatever from whatever it is. I, I now I got to start from scratch all over again. I think. <laughs> you know what? What um, is happening? And again, it's the heat and the hydration is also playing a part in this. And and there's kind of a double-edged sword here because of all the heat. You've got to drink a lot. If you're drinking enough to stay hydrated you're probably flushing out a lot of minerals. So we, we need to hydrate, absolutely, but we also need to make sure we're getting the three important ones are sodium, potassium, and magnesium. So I yeah. have a, a product that I really like called Light Balance, L-Y-T-E Balance. Um, I get it from Amazon. It's not expensive. It, it comes in a – it looks like a bottle of water. Um, but it's got the perfect balance of those three minerals. And you just take a capful of it. That like one bottle has 64 servings. You just take a capful. I put it in my bulletproof coffee in the morning. I put it in my water as I drink all day. And it's got a cool kind of self-regulating feature. If you are deficient in those three minerals, 
you can add two capfuls to a cup of water and not even taste it. Once I get enough built back up in me, yesterday I put a capful in about 18 ounces of water, and I couldn't drink it. It, it, was, it was almost making me gag. And what that tells you is I, I've got the mineral levels built back up in my body. My body doesn't need it anymore, doesn't want right. it. I, I have a feeling with all the sweating you've been doing and all the drinking, you've depleted those mineral levels, and that's what's causing a lot of this. I, yeah, I think you hit the hit the nail on the head because they're getting a little bit of the leg cramps too in bed. Yep. Yep. There yep. you go. <laughs> That's a good sign of it, isn't it? Holy that, cow! Absolutely. Hey, you. Uh, yeah. So I, I gotta suggest something. I was gonna suggest something. You know, like, I, I hear a lot of guys calling about starting. You know, I've been yeah forty years. I got a good banker and everything else. I don't have to worry about it. But some of these guys trying to get into a new truck. I, something I haven't ever heard you suggest them do. Instead of doing that, go out and buy a house to start with. And even if you don't live in it and rent it out, you can put an office in the back, you know, at least use it as your home base and, 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 and cover your butt. But, you know, once you're a homeowner, the banks look at you in a whole different light when it comes to credit. You know, that's a good point. Um, you're right. It, In fact, I don't see it much anymore. Um but it's still criteria. It's still there. I can remember when I was young, uh, I was an owner operator cause I bought my first truck really, really cheap. Um, so I didn't need a traditional loan to get it. And, you know, I was starting to make some money. I, I was doing pretty good and I thought I want to buy a new car. And I stopped at a car dealer and they said, if you're not a homeowner, don't even apply for our credit. It's the first criteria. You have to own a home. Yeah. Well, the way the home market is bounced around, it might not be as good. But, of course, I like I say, that established me with my bank. Cause I bought my house through them to start with. And then, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, if I got something, if I want something, I call the bank. He sends me the paperwork. You know, I had no problem anymore because I've just been with them so long and, and they never had a problem with them. You know. Or if I have a problem, right. you know, I let them know about it ahead of time and they yeah. work with me. You know, and I always, always fix the problem. And, you know, and that, that's a heck of a thing with credit and all that. Even though yeah. the, if you do that, if you do that with some big bank and you miss a payment or slow and you call them, it goes on your record and bills bad credit on, uh, you know, it's kind of like the DOT, uh, damn CSA scores, you know. Yeah. But if yeah, you're working exactly. with one bank, smaller bank, and you work with one person, you don't have a problem with that stuff, you know. But uh, yep. just, a, just a suggestion, you know, I mean, it worked for me. I don't know if it worked for everybody else, but, you know, uh, I know once I was a homeowner, it made it a whole lot easier. Yep, absolutely. No, great point. Um, I, you know, when it comes down to credit, the one thing we have to remember about credit money, and, and we've kind of lost this idea in this country, is sometimes we just have to be patient. We want things to happen right now. Guys, you know, will call me and tell me they've had credit issues, but they're fixing it, and, and it's not even a year. Um, and they're wondering why they can't get a loan. Well, it, it takes time. You might, in your mind, know you're fixing the problem, but the lender doesn't know that until you show that proof over time. Let's go to Ohio. Joseph, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I have been having 
some issues struggling on this fuel tax situation. I'm trying to wrap my brain around it, and I just can't seem to figure it out. Um, Got it. And I'm, I'm don't, mostly... don't feel alone. Um, okay. This is, I've said over the years, for whatever reason, this is one of the hardest topics I have to explain on the radio. If I can do it in person, it's a whole lot easier because I can show you numbers, but it's too many numbers to try to get across on the radio. But I'm going to try, and uh, I think I can get you moving in the right direction. We're going to do that right after this break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin Robinson. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the calls. Before the break, I was talking with Joseph in Ohio. We're going to talk about fuel tax. So um, I, I think I can give you some ideas that are going to help you understand this. And here's the thing. When you don't understand this, it seems really complicated. Once you do understand it, you'll go, oh, well, yeah, that's easy. So when people do get it, they can't figure out why everybody else doesn't get it but but i do because i've tried to help people with this for so many years it's common to not understand it because here's one of the things that makes this complicated and if we understand this part then it helps us understand the rest of it here's why this is confusing when you pull up to the pump and you stick the nozzle in there and you pump fuel into your tank and you walk in and you pay them The reason this is confusing is you are paying for two different things that have nothing to do with each other. You are paying for the fuel you just put into your tank, but you're also paying a tax on top of it, and the tax is different in every state. That's why this is confusing. So it's not like a a sales tax. It's a tax changes in every state we're in here's the other thing that confuses people this is not a mileage tax it is a consumption tax so two trucks driving through the same state at the same time and the exact same number of miles are going to pay two different fuel tax amounts because it's not a mileage it's a consumption it's how many gallons you burn not how many miles you drive Every truck gets different fuel economy, so everybody pays a different amount of fuel tax. So those two things make this issue more confusing than it should be. If, if we were able to separate those two things, if when you bought fuel, you only paid for the fuel, and then you had to pay your fuel tax directly later, then this wouldn't be confusing at all. There would be no issue. But we're paying two different things at the pump. 
So that's why this is so confusing. So the way our goal, the reason we want to understand fuel tax is because we want to pay the cheapest price for the fuel we can. That's our goal here. That's why we want to understand this. But we can't figure out how much we're paying for the fuel unless we separate the fuel tax out of the so. One of the ways to understand this is let's forget the fuel tax completely right now. Let's just ignore that, that it's even an issue at all. And we do that by taking whatever pump price we're looking at and just take the fuel tax out of the cost. Now, I'm just going to use an easy example, and I'm not even using real numbers here. Let's say that we're looking at a, a fuel pump right now, and the price on the pump is $2.50 a gallon. We know that includes fuel and tax. And let's say we're in a state, I don't care what state it is, and we know that the fuel tax in that state is $0.20 cents a gallon. We'll just take that out because we don't care about the tax. All we care about is fuel. So we're not paying 250 for fuel. We're paying 230. 250 minus the 20 cents in tax. The real price for the fuel is two dollars and thirty cents a gallon. Does that make sense so far? Right. right. Now we and let's say okay, but but we're also going to be driving through this other state today, and we want to know if the fuel is going to be cheaper <laughs> over there. So we would look up a truck stop and say, oh, okay, their price at the pump is $2.54 a gallon. Well, that looks like it's more expensive. Right. Their fuel tax is $0.30 cents a gallon. Well, now I'm only – I take the tax out because I don't care about the tax. And now I can see that I'm really paying $2.24 a gallon instead of $2.30. So even though the pump price was higher, I'm going to wait till I get to that next state to buy my fuel because the fuel is cheaper. Does that make sense? So you take out the fuel tax from the the price, and that actually is the true price of what you're paying. Yep, that's it. We don't need to complicate it any more than that. Now, I could go the next step and start to explain the whole fuel tax system and we pay into some states and we get back from other states, and that's when people start to get lost. But if we that, just that's stick where I'm with having what, an, okay, that, that's why I've been having an issue because I run through Ohio and Pennsylvania a lot, and Pennsylvania the fuel is typically fifty to sixty cents more a gallon than it is in Ohio. So I've been buying in Ohio because it seemed cheaper, but then I got my fuel tax report. I was like Pennsylvania hit me for three hundred dollars in fuel tax last, so I was like, well. Do I break it? Do I break even by buying fuel in Pennsylvania? How do I do it smarter? Well, let me let me let me give you let me let's use that example right now today. I'm going to look up the prices uh, as of today. Now these are averages in the state. The average pump price in Ohio today is two dollars and fifty cents, and the average pump price in Pennsylvania is two dollars and seventy two cents. But Ohio has a fuel tax of twenty eight cents. And Pennsylvania has a fuel tax of 64. That's right. huge. So in Ohio, right. if we do the math, we're paying $2.22 a gallon for fuel, but in Pennsylvania, we're only paying 208. 
Pennsylvania oh, is wow. the bargain. Oh, wow. So, okay. Now, so, here's, here's the other thing. When we buy all of our fuel in Pennsylvania as much as we can, we're going to get credit for 64 cents tax on every gallon we buy. Now, if we burn that gallon in Pennsylvania, we're dead even. We, we paid them their tax for every gallon we bought. If we burn it in their state, we're even. But all the fuel we buy in Pennsylvania and then burn in Ohio, we're going to get the difference back. Okay. So in, when we burn a gallon in Ohio, we only owe Ohio 28 cents for every gallon we burn while we're driving in their state. But we paid 68 to Pennsylvania. We're going to get the credit back. Okay. So you're doing the you're doing what everybody does, which is the opposite of what you should be doing. If you were buying <laughs> right. in Pennsylvania, you would be getting your fuel cheaper, and you're still going to get your credit back at the end of the quarter. There, there's a huge savings there. That's one of those states that border each other. And they have a huge difference in fuel cost. So th there's a there's a lot of money to save here when you drive in those two states. Right. That's right. That's why I was trying to figure out how to be smart about it. So it makes sense now. Buy buy as much fuel as you can in Pennsylvania. Okay. That may help me out a lot. Perfect. Good. I'm I'm glad. I love it when people get this. I'll tell you one of the easiest ways to learn this is to do your own fuel tax reporting. Then you get it. The numbers are right in front of you all the time. Let's go to Virginia. Gary, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I got a question on Evans Coolant. Uh, okay. I was wondering if, uh, if I left my top temperature the same, you know, on the fan when it kicks, when it kicks on, but the, have the lower end uh, not kick off at a higher temperature, you know, so the range is shorter, would my fan run okay. less? And would the coolant actually be cooling the engine more because it never gets to a boiling point? Interesting thought. Um, seems logical. Yeah, and I do have another, another deal with uh, health also, but that one first. You know, that seems logical. I, I've never thought about it from that perspective. But, yet, our, our, there, we have two goals when we were working with the whole idea behind Evans. One, by running the engine at a higher temperature, it becomes more fuel efficient. That was one goal. And, that, and we know that. That's physics. There's even a calculation for every on a, on a Series 60, for every 10 degrees we run it hotter, it gets about one-tenth of a mile per gallon better now that's not huge yep but when yep. we were but, really, if I, but, but, but if i'm but if i'm but if i'm raising but if i'm raising the bottom that is still raising the temperature but i'm not getting into the danger zone exactly running it up higher on the other end right so you're you might be on to something there now the second goal we were trying to accomplish was if we bump up when the fan comes on to a higher temperature and the fan runs less then we're going to burn less fuel so that those were the two things we were trying to accomplish. We were just playing, and I know you had another question, but uh, since it's a diet question, you can call back tomorrow 
when we're doing destination health because I am all out of time. I, I'm going to think about that thermostat thing. You might be on to something there. Thanks for joining me. We will see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work. And master the journey. Step up. Uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and we will—we're uh, going to do this again tomorrow. And uh, Kim will be joining us, and we'll be doing uh, uh, destination health the first hour, and we'll see what happens in the second hour, whether it'll be uh, general or both. Uh, we'll see you then. Thanks. If you like to run barefoot or bare naked or a hundred miles up a mountain through the night like a crazy person, that's cool. Get weird with your workout, just not with your protein. Organic Fuel from Organic Valley has 26 grams of organic protein and zero weird ingredients. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.